Here at Doxedo Hatfield, we are a family on mission. Make sure to get connected by joining us at one of our Sunday services. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Amen. Okay, Dr. Hatfield, please open up your Bibles with me, and you can open it, whether it's on version on your phone or whether it's a Bible in your hand, you can open it up to the New Testament book of Acts. So the book of Acts, chapter 9. The book of Acts, chapter 9. And as you're opening up to that place, I want to tell you just a snippet of the real life, the incredible real life story of a man called Thomas Terrence. Now, he grew up in uh, the U.S. and the state of Alabama, and that was at the height of racial segregation and tension in that country. And he was a man that was deeply opposed to any kind of integration between these different ethnic groups. So he had a ton of just hatred and prejudice in his heart. And because of that, in his early 20s, he joined a group that was called the White Knights of the KKK. And later, the FBI would actually vote them as one of the most violent right-wing extremist groups in the U.S., And Terrence himself was actually involved in more than 30 bombings of schools and churches and synagogues. And so eventually when he was caught, the ensuing shootout with the FBI, he actually got four gunshot wounds, almost mortally wounded. And after months of recovery, he finally started his 30-year sentence in one of the most volatile prisons in the U.S., And now after a while, for Terrence, the only reprieve that he had from the harshness of prison life is he finally took up reading, something he says was never really part of his life growing up. And so one fateful day in his cell, solitary confinement, about half a parking space wide, he said for the first time in his life, he picked up a Bible. And as he started reading specifically the life and the words of Jesus, he got to Mark chapter 8 verse 36 that famously says, what do you benefit If you gain the whole world and yet you lose your soul, who you are. And he says in that moment, in his cell that day, he was undone. And in that moment, he says in his own words, he had this radical encounter with the living God through Jesus. And his life was absolutely transformed. He could experience the life of Jesus entering his old husk of a soul. And he says on that day, he renounced his hatred and his prejudice. In fact, it was such a crazy 180 that the president, as they were monitoring this organization, they actually sent an FBI agent to go and interview him because what would often happen is prisoners would develop what they would call prisoner religion, you know, prison religion. So that's a way of currying favor by saying that you've had some kind of enlightened experience. And so they wanted to see what's the truth of this supposed experience that he's had. And the story goes that the FBI agent, over the series of interviews that they had, he was so struck by what had happened in Terence's life that he himself would months later become a Christian because of it. Such a 180. And today, as for the last 30 years of Terence's life, he eventually exited prison, he went and studied theology, he got his PhD, became a pastor, and today he is the president of the C.S. Lewis Institute in Washington, D.C. He has become a campaign champion for racial integration and justice. Can you believe it? And here's the thing that strikes me. Listen to the book that he wrote about his life. It's titled this, Consumed by Hate, Redeemed by Love. How a Violent Klansman Became a Champion of Racial Reconciliation. I love that. Consumed by hate, but redeemed by love. 
What a transformation of a person. And my question to us is how does that happen? This is not prison religion, amen? This is the deep transformation of a person as in his own words, through the encounter of the living God through Jesus. And my question to us this morning is, have you experienced this in your life? Have you experienced this in your life? Because I think the invitation from God to all of us is not to prison religion, but to have an encounter with the living God that absolutely redirects the direction of your life. And maybe for some of us, if you're a Christian here this morning, I believe that God just wants to come and remind you of the sweetness of what He has done in your life. Amen? Because today, as we are going to continue in the book of Acts, we're going to see one of the most profound encounters that anyone has ever had with Jesus that's literally changed the course of history for mankind And in this series, as we're preaching through, as we get to Acts chapter 9, we've been seeing how Stephen, this man who was a young man impacted by Jesus, sharing his faith so genuinely, his death by stoning was overseen by this guy called Saul. And we're going to see today how God transforms his life through a radical encounter. Because in this book, we're calling this series, as we're continuing to preach through the book of Acts, those Jesus people. Why? Because in Acts eleven twenty six, for the first time in history, the Jesus people are called Christians, Christians. They were not known for their opposition to gay people or science. They were not known for their allegiance to politics or holy wars. They were known for their obsession, their saturatedness, and their dedication to one thing, the person of Jesus. They were known as Christians. And we've been saying, man, that's what we believe our city needs. That's what the country of South Africa needs, is a church so saturated with, so obsessed with, so passionate about Jesus, His way, His truth, His love, His grace, His justice, those Jesus people. And as we've looked at the different characteristics of who they were, they were people of life and of service and of good news. Today, we want to see that they were a people of encounters. They were a people of encounters. Encounter means to suddenly meet a person, unexpectedly meet a person. And I want to show us today that it's that initial encounter that redirects the orbit of your life. And then those continual encounters with Jesus, that's the invitation that God makes to you today. So let's read together. Acts 9 verse 1. Now Saul, he was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, And he went to the high priest and required letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, to Christianity, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he traveled and he was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus the one that you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him, they stood speechless, hearing the sound, but not seeing anyone. So Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could not see anything. So he took them by the hand and they led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and he didn't eat or drink. But there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied, get up and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, 
to the house of Judas and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Lord Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man and how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Verse 17. Ananias went and he entered the house. He placed his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road that you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. So then he got up and he was baptized. Verse 20. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were astounded and said, isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who were called on this name and who's come here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? Just to there for today. Can I just say, I don't know if that's your experience, but every single passage in Acts is just a banger, isn't it? Like every single passage, you're like, this is incredible. Lachai is still my, my greatest fan in the Bible, your friends. You're more than welcome to speak together, is that all right? We can just like, we can just speak to, to one another in these moments. But here we see Saul, and later he's going to start using his Roman name, Paul. But we see him as basically this violent religious extremist. He's a guy who thinks he's doing God actually a favor. He's honoring God by persecuting these Jesus people. And if you probably asked him, what's your motivation for doing this? He would have probably said something like, listen to me, Jesus of Nazareth is dead. And don't come and tell me this nonsense that God would use some apostate cursed man who hung on a tree as the Messiah of our historical Jewish faith. That's nonsense. And now these guys are speaking about the fact that this Jesus is apparently not only alive, but he's now working miracles through them. That is impossible. Their power comes from Satan, not from God. And I will make sure that this sect is stamped out. So you can see that just in the whole posture of Paul, he was on the inside a deeply troubled and restless man. And yet, listen to the change Thomas Terence, listen to this, Philippians 1.21, later he writes to a church in Philippi many years later, and he says this, for me as Paul, to live is Christ and to die, oh, that's gain. What a turn around. Here's a man, Paul, who would in one breath speak about the sweetness of the relationship that he has found in Jesus. In the next breath, he would speak about the passion that he had for the people of God, the church. And in the very next, even though he was brutally persecuted, jailed, beaten, ostracized, he would speak of the honor that it is to live for Jesus and him alone. How did that happen? I want to say it can't be prison religion. It can't be the fact that Paul one day realized, I just need to sort out my life. I need to find a better moral compass. I need to find some kind of framework of philosophy that helps me just live my best life now. Or I need to atone for the guilt that I have in my heart. No, this, in the words of Thomas Terence and probably Paul 2,000 years ago, would be that he had a deep and radical encounter with the living God in Jesus. And he was never the same again. And I want to say, friends, this is the invitation to you and to me from God that you would encounter him in such a radical way that the very orbit of your life, the direction of your life would be altered forever. 
And from that point, as we'll see in the life of Paul, that there would be these continual encounters as I'm now walking this new road. Maybe you heard that Christianity means that Jesus will make your life easier. That everything will now just be, you know, sunshine and roses. Everything will just work out. Friends, I want to say following Jesus is sweet. It's fulfilling. It's the most beautiful thing you could ever experience. And yet, it's tough. Often on that path, on that road, you are discouraged. You feel despondent. You feel doubtful. You may be even angry at God as life is going. And guess what? It's those continual encounters where God now comes to strengthen you, renew you in that path. We see that they were a people of encounters. Maybe you just need to be reminded of that today in your life. Maybe you need to experience that today. So let's look at those two things. There's this initial encounter. And the invitation, I think, by God is this. Point number one, as we'll see in the life of Paul, that there is an initial encounter in your life that changes the very direction of your life. Now, what are some of the characteristics of these encounters with Jesus? There are so many in this passage, I only have time for three. Let me give you three of them. The first is this, an encounter with Jesus, it happens because of his initiative, not ours. It happens because of his initiative and not ours. Read with me in verse three. It says there what? That God shines his light into the darkness of Paul's heart. He was not searching for Jesus. The very opposite. Jesus came to find him. Friends, can I just say to you this morning, we do not have to wonder whether or not God wants a relationship with us, whether or not he wants to save us, restore us, redeem us, find us. Why? Because he has already made that commitment 2,000 years ago on a cross. He wants to know you and he wants to be known by you. He comes to find us. Can I just say, in this week, it's been a bit of a comical thing in our house. Of all things, a peacock has taken up residence in our townhouse complex. And now he basically just hangs out in our garden, unless I can chase him basically away. That thing, as beautiful as it is, is loud and irritating. Now, what's happening because of this is the dogs in our complex are going ballistic the whole time. Because they want to find that peacock and do unspeakable things to it, I'm sure. Why? Because they are, they are set on finding it. They are set with their eyes and their sight on it. You know, there was a poem written in 1893, very famously. A Christian wrote this poem where in it he calls Jesus the hound of heaven. <laughs> the hound of heaven. Why? Because you don't find religion. God comes to find you. Jesus comes to find you. We don't have to doubt that he has made that commitment himself. That's why Paul can say, many years later, as he writes to Philippi, Philippians 3 verse 12, I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. It wasn't prison religion. I was dragged kicking and screaming into a relationship with God by the hound of heaven. And can I just encourage you, friends, we see in the life of Paul that God has a special affinity for coming to save and redeem the least likely of people. If that's the one thing you take away from Paul is this, don't discount yourself, disqualify yourself because of your past. Don't, because there is not a person on this earth too evil, too arrogant, too proud, too broken that the love of God cannot conquer that person. 
But secondly, it says that these encounters, it's not just that it's his initiative and not ours, but it's that it's not just general, it's personal. An encounter with Jesus is not general religion, it's personal transformation. We see that as a result of Paul's encounter, we don't see him realizing, you know what, I just need to probably just change my Sunday morning routines a bit. I just sense that I need to be a better person. I just need to try harder. What do we see? Is it that kind of general, like, you know, back in the day when I became a Christian, I was, you know, at, at, a, at a rugby game, and a, and a guy that was with me in matric, he was actually there, and speaking of one of the guys in my circle that also became a Christian, he told them in Afrikaans, I heard you've been, you've been basically caught up by the white dove. It's that kind of thing. So what is he saying? He didn't have like some general experience of enlightenment or religion. No, what does it say? Verse 21. All who heard about this, about Paul, who saw him, they were astounded. They were astounded. They said, isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on the name? Do you see what was happening? It was not some general commitment. It was personal transformation. Can I just say, God is not looking to make you a bland, boring, gray version of who you used to be. You used to be this person, and now you're like sprinkled with some religion, and you're like this flat version of yourself. No, God is saying He wants to make you the most alive, passionate, and beautiful version of who you have always been meant to be. That's why Jesus says, I come to give you life to the full. That's why St. Ignatius would famously say, the glory of God, it's man fully alive. It's personal. That's why I love this. You know, we just have to. Friends, if you're a Christian today and you're saying, but I don't always experience that fullness, that transformation, I want to encourage you, be patient. I'm saying that to myself the last while so many times. Be patient. Why? We said the other day that the Holy Spirit is the slow cooker of Christian character. It's not going to happen overnight. God has to grant a vision for your life to have you be a flash in the pan, like a firework that goes off in your 20s of faith, and you're like, oh, the good old days. No, he says, I want to form you decade in, decade out. Someone asked a Christian leader once, that guy in my office, that Christian, why is he so angry all the time? And this guy wisely asked him, he said, the issue is not, is he angry or not? The question is, is he less angry than he used to be? Isn't that true? Guys, we all start at very different points. Some of us can be deeply grateful for the fact that we, we grew up in intact homes, mostly whole spaces. Some of us grew up in deep brokenness. The question is not whether you are some perfect picture of morality. That's Jesus' job. The question is, are you being transformed by His goodness because it's deeply personal? But also, I love the fact, if we just ask, why is it personal? Why does it speak to us on such a deep level? And I think what we see in the life of Paul here is that, yes, God does generally, you know, reveal himself through nature and through literature and through events in history. But here we see that God most fully comes to reveal himself in what? In the person of Jesus, Yes, it resonates with me. Music resonates with me. Nature resonates with me. Events that, that strike me, they resonate with me. But there's something in this world that resonates with me more than anything else. What is that? A person. Because I'm a person. I understand person to person. And guess what? There is something in us that so deeply longs for that personal transformation, that personal connection, that personal encounter. Just in this week, I was 
just trying to fill up my car at the petrol station, which at this point is basically a death sentence, if you will agree with me. I literally had to like go and take out a loan from the bank just to fill up my car. But I'm standing there with trembling hands, you know, holding my debit card as I'm standing behind this lady. And it's so hilarious, actually, this moment as I think about it. This lady is standing and speaking to the attendant in the shop. And she is emotional because she's telling him, listen, now finally after many months, her company has decided to change their policy because of COVID from work at home to now work at office. So now she has to now return to the rhythm of going to the office every day. And she says to him, so now I won't see you guys every morning for my usual coffee and muffin because I need to drive early to Santon. And she's basically almost in tears as she's saying, I just came to say goodbye to you guys. That attendant, that guy's like, okay, like I don't know what to do right now. Friends, we are so desperate for personal connection. Why? Because it's deep within us, that need. I side with C.S. Lewis when he says in mere Christianity that any need that a creature in this world has, it's because there is something like that. So if a duckling is, is seeking out water, why? Because there is something like water. If you're seeking out, he says, chocolate, it's because there is something like chocolate. He says, if you're seeking out sexual pleasure, it's because there is something like sex. And he's saying, guess what? If you have a need deep in your heart that you cannot fully satisfy in this world, maybe it's because you have been made for something more than just simply this world. Maybe that deep cry that you have in your soul for deep personal connection, maybe it's there because you have been made for it. And Jesus says, I don't want to give you general religion. I want to encounter you in the very depth of your soul. It's so personal. And I just want to add that, friends, not all of us have to have this dramatic encounter like Paul did. I know so many faithful Christians that will say something like, I, I don't know, just since I can remember, I've been following Jesus in faith. And so the question is not, when was that initial encounter that was so spectacular that people write books about it? The question is, are you following Jesus in faith today? That's the question. Because it's deeply personal. And finally, he says, you know, these encounters, as we see in the life of Paul, maybe you need to be just reminded of that in your life again today. He says, we encounter Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's what we see in the life of Paul, as Savior and as Lord. As Savior, verse 9, read with me. It says that Paul was unable to open up his eyes to see for three days. And that theme of darkness for three days, that is all throughout the Scriptures. Because it's this theme that represents something. There is a dark night of the soul that for three days we are in the depths. We're in the death grip. We have to break through that to get to the other place of true life. Every time in the Bible it's there, and what is it building up to? It builds up to the climax of three dark nights that leads to life in Jesus on the cross. Because imagine this, Jesus, God in the person of Jesus on a cross, He comes to draw upon Himself all the death and the brokenness and the rebellion, all the oppression by the enemy, all of my sin and my fault and my hate. He draws all of that upon Himself and He is engulfed in the ultimate darkness for three days. But through the power of the Spirit, there is a moment where He breaks through those three days. And as we are in faith united with Jesus, we are united into those three days of brokenness and we are brought to life anew on the other side. 
We don't pick up religion. We are made new. For the first time, I see, like Paul, I see God for who he is. I see my life for what it is. I see you for who you are. Through Jesus, there is sight. He is my Savior. He doesn't come to give me just a a list of rules and he has a nice philosophy to follow. He says, I come to pick you up in your brokenness and carry you to the end. That's the hound of heaven. That's why Paul can say in Philippians 3 verse 7, many years later, but everything that was a gain to me, I've considered it to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul is not saying that the everyday things of life are of no use to him anymore. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to go to work. I'm not going to marry. I'm just going to wait around for heaven or something like that. No. What is he saying? He's saying those things that used to define me, my identity, my worth, my purpose in life. Maybe that marriage to that person that ended, that used to be the security of my heart. Maybe the fact that I've excelled in work or in studies, that used to be the identity that I cling to. Maybe the fact that I have to be safe in this country, that's the thing that brings me ultimate hope and peace. And when that's shaken, I am shaken. And Paul says, what I used to have defined me no longer defines me. Because I've realized all those things, as good as they are, they are good things, but they are not God things. They don't carry the weight that I have discovered in Jesus. Only Jesus can fully satisfy, bring peace and hope. Only Jesus can fully bring me identity that's unshakable, status and hope that's unbeatable. That is found in Jesus alone, he says. He is my Savior. Can you just think about that in your life again? But also, he says we encounter him as Lord. What's the word when, when, when Paul finally responds to Jesus in this crazy you know, light show, in this amazing moment? What does he say to him? He doesn't say, oh, rabbi, oh, teacher, oh, Gaia, oh, the, the great spirit of the world. No, what does he say? Read with me. He says in verse 5, who are you, Lord? Kyrios, Lord, who are you, Lord? Paul, in this moment, even though he doesn't fully understand the whole picture yet, deep in his heart, he senses this is the one to whom you fully surrender. You don't make a commitment. Oh God, I'm sorry. I'm going to try better. I'm going to be better. No, he says you just surrender. I wish we could change our language, especially in the westernized church where we say, I am going to become a Christian. I think we should start saying, because of the love that has been lavished upon me by this king, I surrender my life to him. What else can I do but surrender my life to him? Why? Because this king, he does not come to rule with an iron fist and destroy the sin, Satan, and death that so inhabits us by swinging his sword in hand. No, this king comes with nails in hand to die for his people. That's the kind of king that I don't try out for a weekend. I surrender the fullness of my life to him. And you see it in Paul. Verse 18, what happens? What does Paul do? 
What does one of the most important people in the history of the world, probably one of the most prominent Christians in the history of the Christian church, what does he do when he surrenders his life to Jesus? Verse 18 says, he was baptized. Isn't that profound? Paul was baptized as a sign not of what he was now going to do for God, but what God had done in his heart through faith. He's saying, friends, if you want to count yourself as part of that unbroken chain of 2,000 years of, of you know, church history, even Paul had himself baptized. If you're a Christian here today, be baptized. Experience the joy of saying, God, I associate myself with the King. And if today you are just sensing that, you're sensing just the Father through His Spirit saying, come home, come and know me. Let the hound of heaven find you where you are today. You know what you should do if you've prayed and you've said, Jesus, I want to know you as Lord and Savior. You know what you should do? Be baptized. We're going to baptize at the end of this month. And I'm trusting that one or two of you are going to say, that is for me because I associate with the King who died on my behalf. We encounter Him that way. Have you had that encounter? Do you need to be reminded in this, the end of 2020, something that feels like it's been going on forever and you feel tired and broken and confused or maybe doubtful? You say, God, I'm I'm a bit angry at you at the moment. Can there just be a reminder by the Spirit today that God has been faithful to you, that He's done great things in your life, that the very orbit, the very direction of your life has been altered by Jesus? But then lastly, this is actually a whole sermon on its own. I can only touch upon it today. But we see in Paul's life, not just this initial encounter that completely changes the direction of life, but we see the continual encounters with the living God through Jesus that now comes to what? Strengthen, re-energize, reinforce that new path that I'm on with him. I can't go into all of them, but in Acts 22, there's an example of this. It says, after I returned to Jerusalem and I was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw him. That Greek word trance simply means to be so overtaken and overwhelmed. I was so overtaken in that moment that I once again saw the living God in Jesus. It happens another time when he's in prison. Jesus appears to him and he says, have courage, my son. But more than that, so what are we saying? Yes, there's this, there's this initial moment that so redirects your life that it's Thomas Terence. You're like, who is this person? I don't recognize them anymore. But then in those moments that we need it most, there is a continual encounter with Jesus. And sometimes it's miraculous. Maybe two times or three times in your whole life, you will have this moment where it's like you cannot deny what God has just done in this moment. But then we also see all throughout Paul's life, it's just the everyday encounters. The everyday encounters through the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the people of God. Just those moments where he just shows up in a way that I did not expect or I did not you know, anticipate. And he comes to do something so fresh, so sweet that you just say once again, God, you are faithful what you're doing here today. And we see that in Paul's life. Maybe an example could be that, you know, like Paul, you just have in a moment, you're just... You have your emotions just stirred again by an encounter with the living God in Jesus. How? Just through the Spirit of God. You're sitting at your desk on a Monday morning and you feel overwhelmed and you just sit back in your chair and for a moment you just say, or you're in a taxi or you're in a class or in your commune and you just say, Holy Spirit, will you just in this moment just come and reaffirm who you are in my life and you experience them and it's powerful and there's that encounter 
Maybe in worship, you're with the people of God, and you are just standing there. I've had it so many times in my life. People coming into the church, and they say, I was just crying. I was crying and crying and crying throughout the worship because God was doing something so powerful in me. Maybe it's not just that emotional kind of strengthening, but it's just having your heart encouraged by an encounter with Jesus through what? Through the people of God. You sit in a conversation with a good friend who's a Christian. And, you know, he's saying, listen, this is where my struggle is. Or will you celebrate with me what God is doing? Or I need to make a decision. And as that person just speaks to you, you just recognize that this is God in this moment. And he encounters you afresh. And you realize there's healing happening here. There's, there's something of a God moment happening here. Maybe you just sit like we had on Wednesday in a community group. And someone comes in who says, I'm so beat down by life at this point. But just as I sit here amongst the people of God, there's a strength that I experience from them. Jesus encounters me afresh. Or maybe you have your mind just renewed through an encounter with Jesus in the Word of God. Paul Tripp would always say, no one is more influential in your life than you because no one speaks to you as much as you do. You have your thoughts just renewed because you open up the Bible and you say, God, I'm in a place of desperation when it comes to my parenting. I'm in a place of uncertainty when it comes to my life. And I open up the Bible and it's not flashbang and Jesus just like jumps in your lap or something. But just as you read the truth of God, there's a moment where you just realize I'm just encountering him so powerfully again today. There's something of the continual encounters that strengthen us in a way that we so need. And maybe you say, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would we pursue the presence of God in that way? Isn't God everywhere? And yes, that's true. He is omnipresent. He's ever present. David famously says, listen, where can I go? Psalm 139, to go away from your spirit. How can I flee from your presence? Yes, God is everywhere. And yet God says to Moses, one example of many, Exodus 33, 14, he says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. There's a way, yes, God is ever present, but there are moments where he can manifest his presence, where we can experience his presence so afresh, so tangible, so life-giving that we can say, God, yes, you are everywhere, but in this moment here, through the word and the spirit and the people, you are here. And I take note, God, and I savor it, God. And what happens in those moments? Oh, many things can happen. Anything can happen. But sometimes it's just the fact that the truth of your salvation, of what God has done in your life, it just conquers once again the feelings that you have, the failings that you're experiencing, the circumstances you're going through. In that moment of encounter, your almost memory of and the sweetness of your salvation just overwhelms those feelings and circumstances and doubts once again. Sometimes it's just the fact that God comes to strengthen your calling once again. I've called you as a pastor, pediatrician, painter, programmer, poet. He says, I've called you and yes, you're struggling at the moment. Yes, you're doubting at the moment. Yes, you feel, God, I feel defeated in my calling at the moment. But he comes to strengthen and call you again. And sometimes it's just healing. It's just healing emotionally. It's healing spiritually. It's healing physically. In those encounters, why? Because if I stay next to the fire, I will get hot. If I jump into the pool, I will get wet. And the invitation from God is this. In the presence is His power. The insight that I need, it's in the intimacy with Him. 
The rest that I'm seeking, it's in the relationship with Him. Just in closing, you know, I was, just, I was, as I was praying and meditating on this, this sermon, I was actually, I'm not someone who cries very easily, it's just the way it is, but I was just driven to tears as I sat there at my desk. I was thinking about years ago, it was in the, in the depth of just three young kids and post-grad studies and trying to just be faithful to all these different things, and, and it's a husband, and it's life, and it's ministry, and I just felt so overwhelmed. And my beautiful wife, she went and she bought me a 200 rand, like cheap, cheap, second-hand little couch, like one-seater couch. It's so small, I just fit in it barely. It's still at our house today. And in my little office that was basically half the size of a parking space, you couldn't even swing a cat in there. It was that small, that little couch fit in that office. And just every now and then, just escaping just the craziness of life, I would just go and sit in that little couch. And I would just open up the Word. I would just be there. And it wasn't God writing on the walls and Jesus appears in bodily you know, presence. It was just in the silence and the solitude and the stillness of that moment that God would just show up. I would encounter Him again. And I would walk away saying, you are good, Lord. Friends, the invitation from God to all of us is not prison religion. It's that you would encounter him so powerfully that the very direction of your life would be altered. And then the invitation is there. Encounter me afresh every day. They were not a people of prison religion. They were a people of encounters. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray this morning that in this very moment, we would just give you space. That the Holy Spirit would come and so powerfully minister this morning and do what you want to do. Come and draw closer this morning, God. Come and tear down lies this morning. Come and heal this morning. Come and strengthen callings this morning. Just come in the sweetness of who you are this morning, the God of encounters. Jesus, let me pray.